Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Bonsoir. Good evening. Here's what Ireland are going to do to psych out the, uh, the string box. Pick seven backs on their bench. Oh. Just one forward. <laughs> Love that. Uh, all of our scrum halves and all of our squadron of outhouse will all get a go to uh, stick bombs on the inexperienced uh, scrum half who ends up playing wherever for... Uh, inside centre, hopefully. Yeah, inside centre, hopefully, for the spring box. So, uh, Razi Erasmus, is he onto something unique? Uh, is he playing to his strengths? Is he trying to psych out the Irish? What do you think is behind his very early selection and uh, picking of seven forwards? The early selection he's done before, uh, it's not unusual for South Africa. I'm not sure the, the upside of it, um, but he's done it before. This, the seven the seven one split is fascinating. And, you know, uh, I think Simon needs to be today in an interview or snippets of an interview I read with him said, oh, it's... it's we don't worry about that much. That's more for you guys. And he gestured to the uh, Assemble Media and fans to discuss. And yeah, it's really interesting to discuss. Uh, the first thing to bear in mind is that the South African start in 15 is, is really very strong. Um, they've selected most of their, like I would say, I would say most of their best players. They've selected a team very, that they were, very likely to pick, um, given their performance against Scotland. The bench is far more interesting to talk about. It will have, in my opinion, less impact on the game than the starting team. But my feeling on that is, I I feel that it's it's the assemble bench that they have is not doesn't have anything like the same talent as the bench for the 2019, the original bomb squad. Uh, in fact, I think the 7-1 split is has far more, it's a less pragmatic choice. It has more downside and they're worse. Like most of the players are not as good as the players in the original bomb squad four years ago. Uh, when I say most of them, I say almost all of them. So, that bomb squad from 2019, which is referenced a lot and was referenced even when the subs bench came off against New Zealand, oh, this is their bomb squad. The bomb squad for the final was Kitschoff, Marks, Koch, Mostert, Snyman, Francois Lowe, Herschel Yanchis, who is the odd one out in Francois State. So if you compare their, their uh Descendants, I suppose I'm going to call it, or substitutes this time around. It's uh, Dion Ferry, who's a flanker, 37 year old flanker, playing hooker. Uh, Oxen Che, uh, Trevor Nyakane, uh, Jan Klein, and Snyman. 
and Quagga Smith and Marco van Staden and Kobus Ronek. Kobus Ronek is the only player there who's better than his equivalent in the um, in the 2019 bomb squad. But he's covering seven positions. So to me, um, Ninaber and and uh, Razi have actually, in my opinion, they have more talent in the backs that they've left out than they have talent in the forwards that they've included. They've left out Mapimpi, Willie LaRue, Andreas Stahuizen, and uh, and Kenan Moody. Like, Marco van Staden, Dion Fareed, and Shane Klein, like, they're not fucking leading lights in world rugby. Yeah, I, and I, I think <clears throat> comparing them with four years ago is kind of a useful exercise as a reference point, but it's it's not relevant to the weekend. What I mean by that is the, like Andre Snyman and John Klein, I would see as there being a big difference. So if Andre Snyman come, or RG Snyman comes in on rather, I'm thinking to myself, ooh, you know, like he he could legitimately be starting. Mm-hmm. If John Klein comes in, I'm there thinking he wouldn't make, he hasn't made Ireland's World Cup panel. Like he is a downgrade from Etzebeth and from Mostert. So really, th- this seven-one strategy to make sense, given the personnel that he has, has to have been conceived long ago enough that the training regime could accommodate making it useful. So what I mean by that is that you go, we're going to train our guys that they're going to play fifty-five minutes, and the next bunch of guys are going to play thirty-five minutes, and. We don't expect our frontline guys to have to play 70 minutes. Like mm. We're not going to condition them to do that. So they are going to go absolutely all out. And then I sort of hear myself say, and I go like, do fellas say themselves in test match rugby? I don't think it's that sort of environment. So it's, it's if you can bring on, I think the point for me was that the six guys who were on the bench, there was very little in it with the starting eight in 2019, whereas of the seven guys that are on the bench, there's actually quite a gap between even Etzebeth and Jean Klein. And it sounds like I'm picking on Jean Klein, but like there's there's quite a gap between uh, Bongo and whoever is going to yeah. be like who, Faree, as yeah. the hooker. Like, as you said, like Faree is a 36-year-old back row who is capable of playing hooker, but like he's not Malcolm Marks and he's not, he's not Bongo. Yeah. So we'd be shitting it if we were in that position. Yeah, so I, I kind of, I think I, I'm not as head up about it as the general reaction seems to be. I just think it's a statement of intent from South Africa of we are going to play a territorial game, we're going to tackle the shit out of you, we're going to be really physical, and you're there going, but you're like, that's not a surprise. That's, nope. the, way, that's the way every Springbok team in living memory and before has played. This is the, it's just that we're going to have more guys doing it. But like the, it's not a surprise. So it's sort of an admission that it, like, it doesn't matter. If, if our whoever gets injured in the backs, we'll just put somebody in, but it's not really going to change our game because our game is going to be very confrontational, very direct. It's not going to rely too much on subtlety. And we haven't even really picked a, a frontline place kicker. Now, I think the difference is if Pollard comes in and they were to lose Pollard. Who do they? Who do they bring in to play? Um, 
And if, if it was a knockout match. So th- this match, like whoever wins it um, gets huge momentum. Mm. But in, in the longer term, if Ireland were to lose this and come out with a clean bet of health, having played a really competitive match, they would be better off than if they won it losing five players as they did against France in 2015. And, you know, oftentimes you see comparisons of previous World Cups and people will go, oh, look, it's a different team. Like, we're not thinking of four years ago or eight years ago. But if you're looking at the history of tournaments, you're going, well, losing five of your first-choice players when you've got a knockout match coming in a week's time is is not a good look. Mm. And there's, there's nothing you can do about it. You, you don't want it to happen. But, like, you know enough that that's a bad result. So I... I don't see really how it changes anything for Ireland's preparation. Which leads me to my point. You you almost uh, straight into that territory. Like, ultimately, this game isn't that important to South Africa. Like, yeah, South Africa have already qualified. South Africa have already qualified from this group with the, you know, assuming they beat Tonga, who we hammered. And they will, they'll beat them handsomely as well, I'm sure. Like, this is ultimately another attempt... I think, or another opportunity for Razzie to try something or to do it as a stunt to put the shits up people for the knockout games and think, oh, if they win with it, he go, oh, they might try it on us. And, you know, it didn't seem to hold them back there. And if they lose with it, he can just jettison it. It's not, And he goes, you know, he thought it might work, but, uh, you know, uh, we've got we've got Andre Pollard back now, so now we'll play two backs or now. Here's here's the other question. If this is such a great idea, why has he never done it before? Like, well, there's a, I would say as well, like people are rugby is a relatively conservative game, and people are afraid of upsetting convention. Uh, so, you know the <laughs> the thing is, they did try it against uh, New Zealand before, and it worked really fucking well. well that, that it already it, <laughs> to be honest, they were already hammering New Zealand in that game, and New Zealand were already like. Clinging on for dear life and down to 13 men. Yeah. When they introduced six subs, seven subs at the same time. Yeah, you, you did all the forwards at the same mm-hmm. time after 50 minutes in a game that I think was, that sponsored, was already lost. I think yeah. it was sponsored by Qatar. I can't remember. No, uh, was it? <laughs> like, if he's going to bring on seven subs on 50 minutes against Ireland, like, I would be shocked if he does that. If he does that, it's a clear signal that he's like playing mind games with the rest of the well, tournament. Yeah, it's interesting because. If he brings on, for example, if he changed his front row all at the same time as he has done before in the past. Now, he didn't do it in the World Cup final in 2019 because uh, Bunky started but got injured after 21 minutes. Lou Diego, I can't remember the, the incident, funny enough, uh, but Lou Diego and Bunky both went off at the same time after 21 Lou minutes. Lou Diego went off with a shoulder and Bungie. I can't remember why. Yeah, they weren't, went didn't off. collide with each other. No, no, did they? it was separate. But like he was able to bring on Marks and uh Orgy Snyman. Uh yeah, Orgy Snyman. Or was it Master Butters one of them? You know? Oh. Um But if if so sorry, going back to the replacing your second one, he replaced his his other front row members after 43 minutes of that game. If he tries to replace his whole front row at the same time, he's bringing on Dion Furry to both scrummage and throw. You're going, like Great. Yeah, thank you. Is the, Dion Furry, yeah. you can play Dion Furry or Marco van Staden against Romania. Uh, at Hooker and not like Romania are 19th in the world and team going backwards as well and like that's not like we're we've been number one ranked team in the world for well over a year now it's we've you know 
like good whichever hooker is on our bench is going to be really good so it's uh, like I don't see the upside for bringing on I don't see the upside for bringing on Furry early but then I don't see Bongi playing you know 71 minutes and even if he does I don't see him being effective for the last 20 of those like Bongi is tough but he's not well, that, that goes back to the conditioning. Like yeah. for 7-1 to make sense, really you have to have prepared your players to be just really, really strong and really, really good for 55 at the expense of being able to last 80. Like mm. you need to make them more, I don't really know, like make stronger, heavier, basically heavier and more dynamic because you want to use that physical attribute because like you're going to play a very power-based game because you can't play a wide game it's too risky that you might lose somebody uh you have to acknowledge that you might lose one or two of your backs and you're just going to smash it up anyway so you have to prepare to just play a very concentrated game and smash it up and then acknowledging that that's the game you want to play it makes sense to have your players bigger and as powerful as possible at the expense of as aerobically fit as possible and lighter so like bongi's not going to be particularly good between 55 and 70 minutes if that's the way that he's physically prepared, which you'd have to think it is. Mm. Um, no, he's he's still a better thrower than Faree. He's still one of the best throwers in the world. So if, you, if you're taking that off, you're you're jettisoning your line-out. You're not jettisoning, but like you're... You're putting it at risk. You're putting it at risk. Um. Has has Razi already won by virtue of how much we're talking about? <laughs> no, no, the game. No, is, the game's not. won and lost on the pitch. Like. No, I'm, 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 I'm joking. Um, you asked me in two episodes ago, two podcasts ago, uh, how do you beat uh, a Springbok team? Who's going to stop a Springbok team? And I put up some kind of answer. Uh, I rewatched the highlights of us beating them in. Uh, last November, which seems like an awful long time ago at this stage, we uh, got out in front by playing attacking rugby and getting earning penalties from it. We scored a line-out mall, which was, again, earning a penalty from them, presumably uh, doing something illegal at the breakdown. You'd never know from the highlights online. No, who knows? Uh, and then we scored a great broken field try where we where they their breakdown squirted the ball out, we pounced on it, and went from one side of the pitch to the other side of the pitch and scored in the corner with great hands and great passing. I feel like Sexton's probably going to show us a bunch of moves we've never seen before or that like we saw eight years ago and haven't been done since. Um, I still I, I see us winning the game in the same way by like playing attacking rugby and probably not getting through but getting enough advantage and getting enough penalties to kick ahead of them. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know how we're going to play. Like the, uh, Somebody, I can't remember where I read it, which is a terrible sign because I only read this morning, saying that we played with Bundy uh, for the first 20 minutes against Tonga. We played through Bundy a lot. And the second 20 minutes, we used Bundy as a decoy, um, which was, I can't, like I watched that match at a wedding, so don't really remember that well. Um, and then... Uh, you know, so that's, and then that had their onrushing defense gave chances on the inside, which was very apparent even at, even at watching it at a wedding. <laughs> uh, the second thing I would think is that both their 
wingers are very short. Um, I think Ches and Cobb is like 171 centimeters, and then uh, Kurt Lorenzo is like 176, whereas ours are like James Lowe and and uh, and Mark Hansen are about 188, 189. So they have a we should have an advantage there as, as spring heeled as those two guys are. Like it doesn't give you longer arms. Mm. It's also you're lighter in the air. You can just get bumped. There's no there's no penalty for bumping somebody air if you're both competing for the ball. Um, so I think that is something we might look at the way that Lima Subwaga kicked against us, which is to try those cross field bombs where they can't get somebody protecting a smaller winger. There's a smaller fullback in our case. You can only have one person chasing back to get in the way of any chaser. So uh, that's something we might try and do. They're, like scrum-wise, we dealt with them well. We had Tyg for the first half 10 months ago and Finley Bealham for the second half. And that went pretty well. Um, so their line is their line is going to be really good with with uh the three good jumpers not four like visa's not a jumper khaleesi doesn't uh take much line out ball but etzabeth is very good mustard is excellent peter stefty is a good target um you know we'd, we we'll have the same we probably have four targets uh our line went well against tonga so their defense is really hard to score against but conversely the game against Romania doesn't really count for scoring tries. Like Romania are a bad outfit. Um, against Scotland, they struggled to to score tries. They scored one really good try and one sort of almost typically South African try, you would say. So, but they're really hard to score against. Um, so I don't think I've answered your question, but they're my thoughts on it. Um. Certainly not. Certainly not having the second back. Um, my memory of the of the game in November is that they were very direct and physical in the first hour, and then Willie Derue came on, and he gave them a second playmaker option, and they attacked with much more width. At that stage, they were chasing the game. So, I recall the Bulls semi final against Leinster that they were very comfortable being ahead, and again, like that would be just. In line with Actually, every one of our lineets as well. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, but you know that that was in in line with what Eddie Jones was saying that they're they prefer not having the ball. Um, you know, they're they're good over the ball. They're good poachers. Um, that Bulls team is certainly prepared to challenge in the air all the time. And but they're very comfortable tackling. Like they they like it. It's it they don't have a problem with it whatsoever. Like they relish it. So they don't have that option of Larue coming on to to give them more width in the game, which means they're going to play just a very direct game. There's no way around it, which which makes them a bit more predictable. Now, like, can you stop it? Ireland's tackling in that game is very, very good. Ireland's maul, just like a lot of detail. All the detail, like detail keeps all coming up with Ireland. Um, the detail was very good. McCluskey had a particularly good game at first centre, playing physically and... South Africa played that very aggressive four-up defense, and they targeted certain players when they were coming up as well. But it leaves it leaves room outside, and as Hugo was saying, like they've short wingers, so you can you can take the chance of lofting passes over them because, like, they really, given their short guys with relatively short arms, like you're, you're not. It's not Shane Horgan you're trying to throw the ball over, like that extra foot 
makes a difference. The ball is going to float over the guy's head or go over the guy's head. So Ireland nearly got outside a few times. And I think Ireland are going to chase those wide spaces because that's that's where the opportunity presents itself. Um, Marks is a huge loss in terms of winning turnovers. Yeah. A huge loss. Well, like it's, a, just, it's just the quality. Like, I mean, mm. you know, you can go to the specifics of it. But, but again, it's just like the, the quality coming off the Springbok bench isn't the same as the quality coming off the pitch. Yeah, the team, like, you can bring on the seven forwards at the same time. For the most part, you've made your pack worse. Yeah. So Ox, Ox, and, Ox and Che comes on. He provides a different sort of scrummaging threat than what Kitchoff provides. Um, and I think it's something that Scotland struggled with. And I think it's, like, that he's at such a, he's at, like, you know, he's at that high quality. Um... And Niakani like comes on again, not as not as destructive, provides a different sort of picture. So I think those two guys, that's that's a really worthwhile swap. Orgy Snyman's much more of a I think he's a looser player than than certainly Mostard is. Um Eben Etzebeth, I'd be quite happy to see the back of him. You know? For, for anybody that comes on mm. in, in second row. And then in the back row, like it means that you're you're having to take off, if you're using all these guys, two of Khaleesi, Peter Steph Dutoy, and Visa. And again, you're going, fine. See you, lads. Yeah. I wonder are there any other, uh, there's no other consequences of, um, Players having to come back on that really only that really only uh, relates to props and hookers, doesn't it? They're the only th- they're the only ones who, who might get called back in who have to keep the jersey on and stay on the bike. Yeah, yeah, le uh, peloton avance. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I th- I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it. Like, I guess more for me is. Not quite that the World Cup is starting, but that the World Cup has been staged well. Like it's it's another big match in Paris on the evening of a weekend. And there have been big matches uh each weekend. Like um obviously France New Zealand was was a brilliant start and was was seismic in Paris. I, I and the fact that it's Paris, like the fact that it's such a big city. Um, it's a big stadium. The fact that it's so close to Ireland means like it, it should be rocking. Like there should be a really giddy atmosphere at the match. And it should be like an, and around the city or certainly around Garden or like Paris is one of these cities that's big enough that it can absorb this match without it being completely tilted off its axis. But because it's in, you know, Saint-Denis and you can only get to it really on the train from, you know, relatively few angles, like around Garden Or, where people are going to have to go to congregate to get out there, out to Saint-Denis and back, it's it's going to be absolutely electric. And then, like, the rugby fraternity recognises each other around the place and you, you tend to be oblivious to the rest of the people who are having to get on and work that you're just looking at the other people who are on holiday in an anticipation of this game and you're excited for it. So it's, I, I think that's one of the elements, like that's one of the, certainly the element that I'm the most excited about is 
like this is tasty. This is a tasty match. And it goes back to that idea of, well, this game isn't make or break for either team. Um, like the World Cup is, the last one was four years ago and the next one in four years time, like the tournament is career defining for a sizable number of the players. Now the difference for South Africa is a sizable number of their team have already won the World Cup. So it's arguably less important for South Africa just because they've won it. But you don't, you don't tend to think of that in the time. Um, but any World Cup match is just, any World Cup match for competitors is going to take on a huge significance because you just, you don't get that many opportunities at them. Yeah, I'd certainly echo that feeling about um, when you're on the way to the stadium and uh, only only ever being able to see other people in rugby jerseys or other people going to the game for the quarterfinal, the ill-fated quarterfinal in Tokyo and just seeing, um, even though we kind of knew it was, it was a bit of a, it was it was the sentence, you know, it was the end of our, it was probably going to be the end of our tournament. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it did really feel like a festival of rugby on when we arrived there. There were so so many people in J- Japanese jerseys and Kiwis, obviously Irish as well, but Scots and Welsh and English, everyone on the way there. Everyone really psyched to be in this incredible city uh, on Saturday night for a huge game. And um, I remember during the Hakka, we sang uh, Fields of Athenry and I was like, I'm only singing it because it's our only weapon. <laughs> but uh, I imagine they'll get a, a lusty rendition at the weekend on Saturday. It's going to be... Oh, yeah. Uh, You're It's going to be a, a huge occasion. There's also like loads of Springboks everywhere. They walk over from London, I'm sure. And <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be a very, very raucous occasion. And I'm going to throw in one more thing. I've been, I've been asking people on Twitter... Uh, all week about the jersey situation. Yeah. Ireland are the away team. So South Africa, the home team, ob- obliged to change as is rugby tradition. Their uh, away kit is the same color as our home kit. So they have a third kit, which is just like, who are the people organizing? Who, like Canterbury, Nike, at least Canterbury were like, listen, we can't go wrong with green and white. Yeah. Uh, but Nike have. But the secondary thing is like, as as on sort of a related topic, like these groups were announced three years ago, <laughs> like they knew they were going to play us. Well, they were the only team they could play. And the other thing, I and it's an interesting topic because uh, there's obviously a good idea behind it, uh, which is like making the game easier to watch for people who have color blindness. But they're like basically like, oh yeah, well in a World Cup the Springboks and the Kiwis will never wear their traditional jerseys against each other again. Uh, unless they ditch it like the, the weird haunting kids anthems. Um, but they're, yeah. yeah, they're like, uh, and then, I don't know. I read some commentary from some of them going like, this is like, I am colorblind and this has never really confused me. So it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, I also, I looked at all the, the home and away kits and I was like, well, what happens if like Wales play South Africa? Because red and green are the two worst colors. Yeah, they're the two worst. And then Wales is Wales is change kit is black. Oh, the South Africans wear white, I suppose. White versus red. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I would just let the teams play in their traditional colors that they've used for hundred and yeah, gray years. versus dark green. <laughs> the crowd didn't like that. 
Referee blows for half time. Um, if this podcast is crap, I take responsibility. And that's all I have to do is just say I take responsibility. Isn't that right? Correct. Then it's fine. Then everything's fine after that. You're referencing Drew Mitchell's, uh, and Drew Mitchell being extremely cheerful and good natured. I was delighted to hear him come out and say that because it's something I've referenced before. I think about Eddie Jones, but in general about American sports coaches more than anybody else, where he goes, that's on me. I've got to do a better job. And what the American sports coach is really thinking is, fuck, I have to say this shit, but I'm really blaming my players. <laughs> Eddie Jones saying, like, that's on me. I have to, that's my responsibility. And Andrew Mitchell goes, like, that's just one sentence. I have to paraphrase me. I don't have the quotes to hand. But like, why don't you answer some questions about all these players you left at home? That's taking responsibility. Like the the Aussies conceded 18 penalties against the Fijians. I'd say 40 to 50% of those were because of getting isolated on the deck and conceding uh, turnovers. Jackals. You know, well, you went into the game without fucking an open side, you know, without typically the first person to get to a breakdown, uh, you know, or thematically the first person to get to a breakdown. And then, like, you're the only out half, the only, not like pretty much the only out half you picked in your in your squad had a shocker, and you wheeled him out, out. <laughs> back, to, back to Canada. Back to Canada. <laughs> I mean. Him having a shocker is also not that surprising because he was in like... He's only a wee bairn. Exactly. Um, and he had some pretty ropey games just before the World Cup. Yeah. And like he's not... like It's not like he's a talent for his own, but it's fucking... Like putting, putting a lad into a World Cup within and, and asking him to play out half in big games with, with no backup. Like you can't whip him off and bring on Bernard Foley or Quake Cooper because he didn't bring either of them. Um, it's, it's, you know, and this, uh, it's firstly, sorry, I'm going to finish my sentences in this one, bad selection, not to bring a more experienced, uh, out half, like you need out half protection and now he's going to move Donaldson into out half and put Callaway back at 15, but isn't the game is already lost in that case. And then secondly, if you only choose one and a half, you're choosing like so many players in other positions, you're going, when are you going to fucking play them, man? You know, in sort of like your group is easy. Like you've only got two big games. You've already lost one of them. Your next one up is against, I'm not going to say resurgent, but. Um, not as bad as not feared. as Not as bad. As, yeah, like now you're playing against a, a Welsh team who, you know, not too, like I, their two games against England were fucking dreadful. And they've looked better than that in both games in their World Cup so far, even if they were pretty ordinary in the second one. But they, they won against Fiji. That's the key thing. You know, you won the game. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play. Um, so he's going in and he's, he's, I think Wales will win. We, I think you think Wales will win. I think Wales will win. I think Wales will win because I think Wales will just keep tackling them. And I thought if you, watching that Australia-Fiji game, which I will add, I did not think was a high quality game. No, uh, I agree. In, in many respects. I thought every time Australia got to phase five or phase six, they were completely shot. They had no idea. And then someone would get isolated and Fiji had incredible 
turnover artists, I would say. Yeah. Uh, it was like a team full of Jonathan Dantes. I think that Simon Raoul was looking at looks at the way they're botty in their team, so he's going to bring a lot of La Rochelle with him. You know, he seems like the uh, one of the big two leaders, and he seems like the totem more than Nyasalevu in the team. And I think Raoul is going, listen, we have players who can do the Dante on it. Do the Dante on it, quite like that. <laughs> but there was like a lot of Dante-esque like midfield poaches. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, as I agree. Fiji like didn't play their best game by any means. And they, like some of the stuff that Fiji are good at, they were fucking bad at. Yeah. Like, some was, of the passing was shit. It was so funny. In the first game, at the end, they kept on doing all the things that they're not typical for and were quite bad at, like taking scrums when they had penalties, wasting time when they needed to score, trying to burrow in from a yard. And then at the end, they were like, oh, it's just fucking around like we used to do. And they were brilliant, nearly came, scored three tries in a row. Whereas in this one, like they, they looked terrified to pass the ball to each other. They looked so nervous at the end. Yeah, the lineup really was shot to pieces. But their defense and their, their jackal breakdown work was incredible. And their goal kicking right up until the end. Your man's power hook. So he was either, he was so, he was like, I have to get this off the pitch. Even if I miss it, I'm going to absolutely hit with a huge draw so I get the distance on it. Well, I think, I think what, I think part of what happened was that the referee was like, you're on the clock now. And the lads were all like, we won. Yeah. And then he's like, oh God, I have to take this kick. Yeah. I'm like, I've celebrated. My head's gone. And he yeah. was just like, just blam it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like I, I was watching the match going, just kick it into touch. You've won this now. Yeah. And then he pointed the sticks, and I was there going, ooh, it's, I can see it's a clever decision in yeah. that. It could take away the bonus point. You know, point. it could take away the bonus point, but then you're going, but if you miss, don't miss short, miss yeah. long. Like, hammer this, yeah. right? And then if it goes over, it goes over. Yeah. But, like, make sure it goes dead. Exactly. Whether deep, you get it or not. Deep green yourself. You know? You like, know? <laughs> do not, do not try to chip this over yeah. and get it right. Danger short. <laughs> yeah. So, do I think Wales will win... What I found in this match is that I know jack shit. Uh, whatever biases I have have really come to the fore. Like, there's, there's still to a, the club. <laughs> there's still a piece of me, like I, I just don't rate Wales. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I can, I see them play against Fiji, but I'm just there going no. Like, there's. This is a team that plays really well in in one way, and like I kind of respect what Gatlin has done. But there's they've lost too many players. The players that have come in just aren't as good as the players that have gone. And I know they beat Fiji, but I really think Fiji beat themselves in that match. I agree. Whereas I look at the Aussies and I go, the Aussies can score tries if they can do nothing else. They can score tries, and even though the evidence is in front of my eyes that Wales are a better organized team that have like picked more consistently that have a core of guys who are really experienced that are only ever going to play one type of game and prepare in one type of way with Gaddy in charge. That way is very effective. I still look at it and I go, Wales really struggle to beat any type of Southern hemisphere opposition. A good point. And like Wales shouldn't lose this match. But yet they might. Yeah, it, it, th those are very good points, especially about Wales' massive weakness against Southern Hemisphere teams. Like, they underperform. Even when they were good, they underperformed against Southern Hemisphere teams. Uh, and they're not they're not that good. Um, but Australia are bad. 
and Australia are now on a low and Wales are on a high. Yeah, so I just, like, I think leaving out Michael Hooper completely, leaving out Quade Cooper completely, and then Will Skelton getting injured, you're just there going, oh, man, like, one of them is out of your control, but it just looks like you put all your eggs in the Skelton basket. And, like, to be honest, Skelton is so rarely injured for so long. So, like, it's, 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 it's a legitimate... Yeah, why couldn't he be gamble? Why couldn't, there he, going, why couldn't he twist why couldn't his ankle he, before that? Yeah, why couldn't he pick any of these injuries before Leinster play him? And like the more you look back on it, the more you go, just Leinster should have broken the bank to pick him so no one else could have him. And they would yeah. have won two more Heineken Cups. Like he is absolute kryptonite to Leinster. So not, not to go down that route again. But oh, we got a whole season to come. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's it's just it's 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 the selection thing. So Mitchell hit it so far in the header. He just goes like, what the fuck does that mean? Give us details. Like, explain why you got us into this situation where we've lost a Fiji. And particularly a Fijian team who were so nervous near the end. I was looking at that match absolutely positive that it would be 22-all. Absolutely positive that Fiji would find a way to just either make a soft turnover or give a soft penalty and concede enough territory that they'd be petrified. They were just never going to get out of their 22 and the match was going to get 87 minutes and Australia would score, knock over the kick and Fiji would, it would be 22. But Fiji would lose 22-all and be out of the World Cup. So I see it as an absolute miracle that Fiji managed to win that match. I was delighted. Mm. But a miracle. And it, and it's it kind of, what did it say to me? It was... Again, it, it kind of put light to the notion that, like, oh, it's a different team. Like, four years ago, doesn't mean anything to us. Like, you know, very few eight years of World Cup history. And they're gone, well, bollocks. But I don't like, I don't accept that. Like, if if you have a history of, of getting to these teams, how come it's always the same teams who always win these things? How come it's always Cork on who are in the business end of the AAL? How come it's always Kerry who are in All-Ireland Finals? How come... Like it's always Juventus who are winning Scudetta, always Real Madrid. Oh yeah, it's cheating. You know, <laughs> At the like, record show, I'm making these syringe <laughs> Always, always Real Madrid, always Bayern Munich. And it's the money and it's it's all these things. But you're just there going, some organizations, some teams have winning hardwired into them. And some teams don't. Yeah, and, and you you can lose you it. Can, you can, and you can break the jinx. Like, you know, the, yeah. you know, again, like you look at, you look at the Red Sox. And they didn't win anything for whatever, 100 years. And the White Sox didn't win anything since the GOAT. You know, so the curse of them being of the GOAT in baseball. So, like, the, these things can break and there are exceptions. But more often than not, it's the same organizations win more. Yeah. Pick the top five organizations, even in an American sport where on any given Sunday, and pick the bottom five and... The bottom five kind of have, I suppose that's the point, but like you'll know the names in the bottom five yeah, and you'll know the names in the top five and it won't come as a surprise and you go near the twain shall meet. Yeah, and, and but what I'm saying is you can break, like Australia have really great World Cup history for a team that's pretty much been in decline since, Jesus, Andrew. Like, There's no Bledisloes no Bledisloes in 20 years. Yeah. You know, arguably 2001, they were still, were they still going up from 99 in 2001 when they played the Lions? I don't think so, personally. 
but they were at a high. Yeah. But like 20 years, they've been 20 years downhill. I know they got to the final in 2003. Uh, and at home. And 15. And 15. 15 was a, a blip. But no, my point is though that they, they were a great tournament team despite not being like a, a true powerhouse in rugby. They were a great World Cup team and like they have lost that. Australia. They were one of the teams who were always in the top no matter th- their actual strength. They found a way to win. I yeah. think they've lost it. Yeah. It's a huge loss. Yeah. Losing to Fiji. Even if they beat Wales the weekend and they get through, it's a huge loss. And I think that that kind of sort of brings us on to the the other group in that pool. Because like if if Australia so let's say Australia beat Wales, I'm I'm still gonna presume that they'll finish second. I don't think She's the contradictions. Like I'm saying, Argentina, Australia go to score in tries, but I I don't think if they beat Wales, they'll score four tries. Like I, I think Wales are good enough at defending, and I don't think Australia are that good. I just think that they'll manage to scramble and stop Wales. Yeah. I think I think they'll score three tries. They could score four, right? So they could get if the Aussies are to pick up a winning bonus point five along bonus. with their losing yeah. bonus point. Fiji have a target against the two weakest teams in the group. And Australia have already, you know, had their go against Georgia. So Fiji will know they'll need to beat Georgia by more than Australia have and then whatever the difference is against Portugal. So I'm not sure which order those games come in, uh, but the w- one will know what the, the points yeah. target would be. So that might det- end up determining first and second. And you can imagine whoever gets to play Portugal last is going to have... Uh, an easier time of it against an amateur team, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it would have been good of me to look up the order of the games before I made that point, but I did not. Uh, I suppose the thing is, like, Australia have six points. So if Australia win their two remaining matches with bonus points, they'll be on 16. But their chances of... Jesus, I mean, to be honest, their chance of getting a bonus point against Wales are almost the same as their chance of winning it. Like, it's... That's not quite true, but you, you're sort of looking at it going... That's how they would win it. Like, the way the Aussies will win this match is by scoring more tries. They're, They're three-quarters scoring tries. Yes, by, it's just by scoring a shitload yeah. of tries. They're, Karevi, it doesn't Karevi. seem to be the sort of match where they're they're going to set Africa the bejesus out of it and win by kicking six penalty goals because they're just not good enough to do that. I don't think they have any other options. But So the chances of them winning and scoring four tries... I mean, both of those together yeah. are linked, right? Which means they could win the group. But if if they beat Wales, then without, without, without a, bonus, a point. bonus point and Fiji win with two more bonus points, then they'll finish second and they'll play England. You just can't see them beating England because no. England are miles more physical and like Australia just are too, they're too poor, like. England know what they're doing. It's shit. <laughs> but it's it's more than Australia now. Yeah, but also England. Yeah, it is shit. It's more than... But if they can just go back to doing... Like, if, if Bortwick could just go, oh, let's just fucking more or less forget that the last four years happened. Uh, go back to picking Ford, Farrell, Tuolagi and playing more or less on... You know, you don't have... You don't have Underhill and Curry playing, but you do have... 
you do have laws playing at six, which gives you like more more line out, which is Borthwick's strength. Like England can be difficult. You know, it's funny. I thought one of the best conversations that I've seen on any, you know, be it mainstream media or or uh, social media was between Rob Carney and and Joe Malloy. And Joe Malloy doing a really good job of anchoring and just there going, but what you're saying is like, you know, this is this can this English team can be hard to beat, and they can, you know, this sort of rugby can be difficult to beat when you get into knockouts. There's there's less to go wrong. And Carney did have to say, well, I'll throw you a bone here. Yeah, if you get into knockout games, everyone tightens up and there is less that can go wrong in in a fucking absolutely banal game plan that England, indeed banal game plan that England are playing. So, yeah. And and, and the thing is, it's it's worked out for them. And again, you go back to like, I know nothing. I thought England could lose three of the pool matches, and as it is, they've won with two bonus points. So they're going to finish first in the no, group. No, they've won. With sorry, one sorry, they've won yeah. one bonus point, and they they won the bejesus yeah. out of Argentina. But Argentina outscored them in tries, but England took their points. So I can't believe it took us that long. Took me that long to get there. But England are going to win that group, and the the race for second is wide open. Like Friday sees Argentina play Samoa in just like a huge opportunity stroke, huge heartbreak match for one of, like for both of those mm-hmm. countries. Um, so it looks like, like Wales at this stage, you'd have to say are favorites to win pool C, I'm going to call it, maybe it's D, I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> They're going to win their pool. And then whoever comes out of Samoa, so like the prize for winning, the prize for finishing second in England's group, right? Yeah. Is to play Wales in the quarterfinal. And yeah. you're there going like, you're looking at it going, this is brilliant. Like, who would not want to play Wales in a quarterfinal? Yeah. Okay, the thing that I think that applies... Let's find out whether groups here, group D as well. The thing that applies to both England and Wales and why I think... Wales or group C? Okay. Sorry. Wales will prevail in group C and finish top of it, beat Australia... And why I think it's easy to explain why England are doing well. It's like there's a certainty of purpose about all of them because England have been like, they've just reduced their game plan so much and they're, they've they ended the, like you have to assume that uh, Borthwick is smart enough to keep on picking George Ford at this stage. Um, suspension has handed him his selection and it's really working for them because they've been playing two teams who are way off what we know of them in the last World Cup, for example, with Japan, or in recent years, beating us, beating New Zealand twice in terms of Argentina. They've both been, like, Japan just fucking dropping the ball. Oh, like, so often, yeah. like, unbelievable. Like, I know the ball was slippy, but they were taking the, the mick almost. Like ball was slippy when Japan played us. Do you remember how how feverishly hot and humid it was. In, we don't uh, need to revisit that nightmare. <laughs> 2019. But th- so I, I just remember how good the Japanese skills were when they played South Africa. Um, like when, and certainly when they played us and how well they were able to keep the ball, how intricate their moves were. And I couldn't get over 
how many knock-ons, how mm. many turnovers. Oh, it was so like a 13-12 when the ball bounced off Marler's head. And that was just the end of it. Like the Japanese just capitulated. And and the English really came into themselves. And like, you know, look, the England are very fit and they're well able to finish and like they played well. But that's so symptomatic of English teams as flat track bullies. Like English teams in almost every sport that they play, when they get a bit of a breeze behind them against, you know, a team that's a little bit dispirited, they just look magnificent. But, but like... First there's nothing. So there's ordinary. nothing. There's nothing new there. So it, it, Japan were poor. Yeah, and yet, and yet, could come out of that group if Samoa and Argentina. But this it. is and like an Argentina look looked completely empty. They looked shocking. Now I didn't see it again. I was on the train for that game, but from what I've seen of it, like Argentina, and from what you guys told me, you just said like these lads are just horrific. There's a friend of mine is Argentinian and. He didn't. He didn't want to completely dismiss Argentina's chances beforehand, so it's it's a very Argentinian thing. He was, you know, whereas afterwards he was kind of not quite disowning them, but you know, saying that oh, the guy he plays at half is a fullback. He didn't pick Sanchez on the bench. You know, he hasn't picked Sanchez. I don't know whether Sanchez is completely out of form. He seems to be a bit out of form, or just completely persona non grata. And the two scrum halves who have played pretty much all of the last six years aren't available for them. And he's gone like, we have no halfbacks. And you're looking at going, that explains an awful lot mm. of the rudderless display. And yet it doesn't because you're there going, the pack is too brilliant. Yeah. They, they, should, they should not have been as decimated and as haunted looking as they were. But yet nonetheless, they could still make the quarterfinals. And they, at that stage, they could play Wales and they could easily make the semifinals. So it's... This that that game like there's there's three really interesting games on this weekend Wales Australia Ireland South Africa obviously but also that Argentina Samoa game like Samoa were a tough ask they've got two good out halves you know whether it's Leal Alfano or Sopoaga and like those those Wales Australia and and Samoa um, Argentina games are just huge for how their groups turn out are one are one not so much. I don't think. Yeah, so I, I just think that the tournament is creating this wonderful human drama that the, the various opinion pieces that, that I read, it's, it seems almost unanimous that people would like it to be like Wimbledon or like Flushing Meadows or like Roland Garros where you just have the first seed and the second seed at each end of the draw and they will just march together to meet in a final. And play for five and, hours. And play for five hours. And maybe in and look, the Wimbledon, like that was absolutely magnificent. Maybe, maybe that is the way we want. But what happens before that is really just a procession to there. Whereas with the World Cup, and particularly because it's so drawn out, you, you kind of it doesn't all happen. It doesn't happen like the soccer World Cup where there's just this flurry of matches on all the time. Like there's there's enough gaps between games and the tournament is on for so long that like what happened in the first match by the time of the final is going to be pretty much irrelevant. Like it could be France and New Zealand again and like there will have been like seven and a bit weeks in between the matches. Like the different seasons, you're going from guys playing in like 30 something degrees of heat and absolutely dripping to a match in November which there's going to be frost in the air. Like there could be you know, steam and condensation coming off the breath, you know, like it'd be in a different season. And you have these teams who, like some of them aren't that good 
or some of them are in new ground who are going to be in the knockouts and could be in the semifinals. So like you're looking at a Welsh team losing to England beforehand in an, in an absolutely dreadful match, and you're there going, they could be semi-finalists. And Gatling going, I think we're going to do something special. And you're there going, geez, they have kind of done something special. Yeah, to get to a but, semi-final is special. Yeah. But like, and and yet, and it's and you're kind of going, it doesn't make any sense. Like, what what do I say? And it's but that's it. Like that's the drama. That's the thing that like. The last World Cup was four years ago. The next one is in four years' time. It's what happens now. And it's it's magnificent. Can I just say I like the breaks? I think it's good. You have kind of a weekend of rugby, albeit the weekend starts on a Wednesday evening. But, like, it isn't – the way they put it in before, you had the, you had these sort of weird timetables. It actually never affected Ireland. We always had an e- even-handed timetable. Mm. But you had these all weird, you know, where someone was playing a game after – four days or five days just doesn't work the only thing i'd be concerned about is that what adding an extra week uh it's kind of grand for <clears throat> european audiences on this but like if you're a, a kiwi who wanted to stick around for two big matches it's just a bloody long way away from home and you're not hardly going to come across the you know all the way around the world twice so i think of all the people you can feel the least sympathy for the kiwis the kiwis <laughs> look at us and they go yeah, ask a Kiwi. And you go, oh, which match are you going to? Uh, we're going to the quarterfinal for when we win our group in the semifinal and the final. And, like, they're not even joking. And you're there going, right, okay then. Yeah. And, like, so, look, feel no sympathy for the Kiwis. Loads of them live in London. Um, and for those that want to travel, it is an absolutely, it is a long way. But it's a long way to New Zealand from everywhere else. And they got to host a World Cup. So... It's two. Two World Cups. So I, I look, there's a big population zone in Europe, and I think if any team reaches the final, there's there's gonna be loads of people going to it from wherever. People people will find a way. Let's get up and learn those rules. Weatherman.